Welcome to Tooled Up Education's Researcher of the Month, where the Tooled Up team selects a paper from a notable researcher that will be of interest to parents and school staff everywhere. Dr. Francesca Solmi is a Principal Research Fellow in the Division of Psychiatry at UCL. She is an epidemiologist by background and her research mostly focuses on understanding risk factors for eating disorders in young people and the role of body dissatisfaction in causing adolescent mental health difficulties. She is currently leading a programme of research trying to understand if and how some environmental risk factors, such as schools and social media, can contribute to body dissatisfaction and eating disorder risk in young people, so that we can develop preventative interventions to improve mental health in adolescents. Welcome, Francesca. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm very well. It's lovely to be speaking to you today. I'm always excited to speak to an epidemiologist. I love that. It sounds like a brilliant occupation. Tell us a little (laughs) bit about what what an epidemiologist does. Yeah, sure. So essentially, an epidemiologist is someone who's trying to find out what are the causes of disease in the population. So in my case, I'm particularly interested in mental health problems in young people. So my job is to try and understand what causes mental health difficulties in young people and how we can treat them better. And obviously that is the question of the day. So it's an incredibly (laughs) important job that you do. And we're celebrating the fact today that you are our researcher of the month because we know that you've published a very, very, very important paper in The Lancet, no less. And it's our job at Tooled Up to bring those pieces of research to light so that schools and educators and parents and other clinicians can hear about what's going on, so what the freshest research is. So first of all, tell us a little bit about this particular study. It was a longitudinal study, wasn't it? Yes, it was. So tell us a little bit about the title and what you sort of aim to achieve with it. Yes, so the aim of the study was really to try and understand the link between a young person's weight and their risk of developing depression and how much of this can be explained by a higher prevalence of body dissatisfaction in young people who have higher weight. So the reason we did this study is because there is some evidence, which comes mostly from adult studies, but there's some evidence also in young people that young people with higher BMI tend to have greater depressive symptoms a few years later. And this has been shown in different types of study including in genetic studies, which tend to be a bit better when we try to understand this issue of what causes what. So there is also some evidence that young people with higher body dissatisfaction have greater depression down the line. These are not many studies. Most of this research is cross-sectional, which means that body dissatisfaction and depression has been measured at the same time. So it's quite difficult to understand which one is causing which. But there's some emerging evidence of this evidence longitudinally. So we wanted to replicate essentially these two findings. So the BMI in childhood is associated with greater depression later and also the body dissatisfaction. So late childhood is associated with depression later. So had we found this uh, this association, which we did, then the next step was to try and understand how much of this association between BMI and body dissatisfaction could have been explained by higher body dissatisfaction sometime in between when we measured BMI and when we measured depression. So this is what we tried to do. And indeed, when we looked at this final question, we found this association between BMI and depression, about 40% of it was explained by the fact that children that have higher BMI 
then experience higher body dissatisfaction and then, then this leads to depression, which was quite a novel finding and quite a concerning one in, in a way. But on the other hand, you know, we, we can try and prevent body dissatisfaction. So it's also in a way positive in the long run. If we can prevent body dissatisfaction, we can reduce some of the excess depressive symptoms that we see in young people with IBMI. Absolutely. And in fact, uh, in our organisation, we're often sharing facts about body dissatisfaction. We know that it's, well, I know that it's one of the biggest predictors of things like eating disorders. Mm. Uh, But it's also, as you've just suggested, one of the most potent modifiable risk factors. So this is something that we can all try and do something about. And I think that your paper has highlighted the sort of the urgency around it. Absolutely. Yes. As you say, we know that body dissatisfaction is a very strong predictor for, for eating disorders and is one of the main symptoms of eating disorders. But, you know, if it might be linked to other mental health conditions, then it becomes even more pressing to try and address it in society. So, yeah. And Francesca, for parents listening or teachers, can you just sort of define body dissatisfaction? You know, what does it sound like? What is it? How is it defined in, in, if children are expressing it? Of course. So body dissatisfaction refers to a state. So when a person or a young person, in this case, perception of their own body differs from the body that they would like to have. So it doesn't match their desired appearance. So this mismatch creates a sense of unease and unhappiness in the person. So this can refer to different aspects of a person's body image. It could be someone is unhappy about their height, you know, their, their skin. But in some cases, it can be about weight and shape concerns. Actually, in many cases, it can be about weight and shape concerns. And weight and shape concerns are more common in young people, which might have higher BMI. And it is thought that this comes from an internalization of this idea that being slimmer and being thinner is, is preferable. It's, it's nice that you're a better person if you are slim. And, and this can be induced in different ways in society, for instance, by some negative stereotypes around people with higher weight, which are pervasive in society, in media. But it can also come as a result of more direct experiences of discrimination or bullying. So there is this aspect which is more in terms of attitude and and cognitive aspect of body dissatisfaction, but there's also another behavioural aspect of body dissatisfaction, which relates more to then the behaviours that a person might engage with to address their dissatisfaction. So when we talk about weight and shape concerns, this can often be trying to lose weight or exercising again a lot to, to lose weight or to not gain weight. So there's these two aspects of body dissatisfaction that can then be common in young people and in adults as well. And presumably, I mean, a lot of parents listening to this will recognise that, I mean, most people are dissatisfied with their Mm. bodies to some extent, but where's the threshold certainly for children? When is the I think I'm fat phrase, you know, when does that Mm. sort of slip into something a little bit darker or something of great concern? Yeah, I think as for sort of other concerns or other symptoms of mental health difficulties, the threshold is when this starts to really affect your day-to-day life. As you say, unfortunately, body dissatisfaction is quite common. Most people will say that there is some aspect. It's, it's quite sad, but most people will say there is some aspect of the image that they don't like, where we should learn to, to love our body and appreciate our bodies, but that's quite common. But yes, the, the, the threshold is when, when someone starts to change their behaviour, for instance, as if a young person starts to you know, 
go to the gym a lot or exercise a lot or they they start to avoid foods that before they really liked or you know they might start to say you know I, I want to have plastic surgery to change this aspect of my image I think when it starts to affect or oh, I don't work with my friends because I'm worried about the way I look I think when when those aspects become encroach in a person's life then I think that's when it becomes a little bit more worrying I would say and maybe it's the wrong part of the interview to ask this but I'm curious what do we know about body satisfaction in young people, you know, where are the protective factors in, in sort of, you know, going to the gym is a good thing, for example, mm. for my 17 year old to do because he, mm-hmm. he feels better after it. Right. So the body satisfaction, do we know about those children as well? I have to say, I have not looked at body satisfaction a lot in, in the type of research I do. Oftentimes it's because these questions have not been asked in the sort of data that I use. But as you say, body satisfaction is quite different from body dissatisfaction. So one cannot be strongly dissatisfied with the body, but it doesn't mean that they're happy and dissatisfied with the, they cherish their bodies and, and so on. So they are two quite different aspects and a lot of the intervention that has been rolled out to try and test whether you know preventative intervention for body dissatisfaction are effective usually just measure body dissatisfaction as an outcome and less so they measure body satisfaction less frequently they measure body satisfaction but you are completely right and i think there is an element of cherishing what our bodies can do so as you say going to the gym because you want to become stronger or because you you know it makes you feel better you feel well you've gone out maybe you've gone to the gym with your friends you met other people there's many different ways in which physical activity even playing a sport can have beneficial effects on a young person so it doesn't mean that if a young person does physical activity necessarily this is because it's negative oftentimes is the reason why someone engages in in physical activity that matters so if someone goes to the gym every day many hours because they really want to change their appearance and lose weight that becomes a little bit could be concerning in some cases but if someone goes to the gym as you say because it makes them feel better and it gives you a sense of accomplishment and makes you feel stronger you're doing things that before you weren't able to do then I can see that as a very positive thing as well. And presumably, you know, the origin of the body dissatisfaction matters. So we'll get into it. But things like, is it social media? Is it a particular Mm. post? Is it something somebody has said in terms of, have you been teased about your weight? There are so many different elements, are there, to the sort of the, the rise of body dissatisfaction, what's happening in society, the things that they're looking at on the television or in magazines. It's almost impossible to sort of Mm. assess where the, the origin of that. But let's talk a little bit about the study itself again. It was a longitudinal study. So give us a little bit around the methodology, what you were, you know, who who was involved in the study, how long it took as well. Yes, sure. So, yeah, as you say, it's a longitudinal study. And why this is important is because we were trying to tease out, you know, teasing out causality is quite difficult in, in the type of research that, that we do, which is called observational research, so using data that comes from people's experience in day-to-day life. But when you look at, you know, one risk factor, in our case, BMI, and you look at the outcome years later, you can kind of try to exclude the element of which one 
causes which. So if you measure body dissatisfaction, for instance, and depression at the same time, it's hard to say which one came first. It could be that a young person with higher depressive symptoms also displays some negative attitudes, for instance, around their body image, or it could be that someone with higher body dissatisfaction and this leads to, to greater depression. So when data is collected at the same time, we cannot understand that when the data is collected longitudinally, we can try and tease out the temporality in which these different things occur. So in terms of our own study, we used a big UK cohort called the Millennium Cohort Study, which recruited around 18,000, 19,000 young people who were born at the start of the turn of the millennium, so around 2001 and 2002. And these people, young people, have been followed up when they were nine months, so when uh, at the start of, of this cohort, and then at three years, five years, seven years. 11 years, 14 years, 17 years, and I think now around 23 years. So they've been followed up at semi, semi-regular intervals, and they've been asked a lot of different questions about their lives, their thoughts, their behaviours, both to the young person when they turned seven and they were able to ask these questions about themselves and their parents throughout childhood. So we used a measurement of BMI that was taken when the participants were aged seven years old, And these were taken by research assistants with a scale, so it was not self-reported, which can lead to some error. And then we looked at a measure of depressive symptoms uh, called the Moods and Feelings Questionnaire that was given to young people when they were around age 14, and they completed about themselves. So that is thought to be a, a better measure compared to a parent report in this age group, because young people might start to recognize emotions, and they might sometimes hide them from, from their parents, so they're thought to be better reporters of their own mental health. So our method really was to use statistical methods to look at this association between higher BMI at 7 and depression at 14, but also to look at bodily satisfaction at age 11 and depression at age 14. That was our second question. So again, young people answered the question about bodily satisfaction when they were about 11 years old. Um, some may have been 10, some may have been 12, but mo most of them were 11. And it was a question that asked, how satisfied are you with the way you look? And it was arranged from zero to six. And so again, we looked at this association between body dissatisfaction at 11 and depressive symptoms at 14. And then we put sort of all these three measures together in what is called the mediation analysis in technical terms, but essentially is trying to get to what proportion of that association between BMI or BMI age seven and depression at 14 is explained by the fact that young people who have higher BMI age seven also have higher body dissatisfaction at age 11. Yeah, and that's where we found that this was about 40% of, of that association. Does that explain the methods, roughly? Francesca, those are fantastic. You know, it's obvious how exciting that cohort is and how you know extensive that methodology is. In layman's terms, can you describe the three biggest findings so that an educator listening, a parent or even a GP can take those away and think about them? Of course. So... The three main findings is that we found that young people with high BMI at age seven had greater depressive symptoms later, and also young people had greater body dissatisfaction at age 11 had greater depressive symptoms later. So this could highlight that these factors might cause in the long term depressive symptoms. If for educators or parents, it could also be 
a way to identify young people who might be at greater risk of developing depression and, and perhaps start to discuss with them their concerns or seek help if that seems to be necessary. The second bit of findings that I think is worth highlighting is that a lot of these associations between BMI, body dissatisfaction and depression were more pronounced for girls compared to boys. So at least in this age group, it seems that these, although there was an association for boys as well, but it was bigger for girls. So girls might be with higher BMI and greater body satisfaction might be at greater risk of later depression compared to boys, even if boys are also at greater risk. And the last bit of finding, which I think is the main finding of the paper, is that a lot of this association between BMI and depression is actually explained by body dissatisfaction, which is something that can be prevented and can be addressed, perhaps in the way in which we talk about weight with young people or the way in which we talk about our own, for instance, body image, our own weight. So if we can do anything to decrease the likelihood that a young person with IBMI develops body dissatisfaction, perhaps some of that later onset of depression can be prevented. And I think that is, as I said earlier, it's in a way is a concerning finding, but it's probably the most hopeful finding as well. Absolutely. And it's so exciting because this paper is really providing a contribution to that material and early intervention. Putting it into context with other research that we're aware of, I'm just going to list you some of the things, the factors that we have drawn out from other uh, pieces of research about what we can do to reduce body dissatisfaction in the way that you have described. So, for example, at home and at school, thinking about more what our bodies are capable of rather than what they look like in general terms, a focus on body gratitude, a focus on good enough, as opposed to the sort of the toxic perfectionism that might be present on, on social media or in the, in the general media, stigmatizing early access to appearance-based social media. Also, I think Nora Trumpeter's work in Australia, she looks very much at weight teasing as a predictor as well of, of disordered eating thoughts and behaviors. So there's something there about body dissatisfaction and the potential impact of teasing. I think you've mentioned bullying mm-hmm. earlier on, but there, I just wanted to sort of list those things to get your sort of response to that. And because we know that people listening, you know, they're going to want to know what they can do, what they can try either at home or at school to ward off that body dissatisfaction that could lead to worse mental health yeah well absolutely everything that you just listed is absolutely uh, I agree 100% and they're all fantastic recommendation which I I don't feel I've got much to add but in terms of in terms of uh, focusing on body appreciation you know complimenting a young person for about things that do not just relate on on their body image it could be like oh I, I really liked how kind you've been to your friend or, you know, that you told the truth in that case or, you know, how, how nice you, you are towards you know, animals or other people, you know, complimenting the person in terms of their own qualities and skills and attitudes as opposed to just compliments on, on body appearance, which are quite common in society. And this is not to say that you can't say, oh, you look great today, but it's also expanding that range of discussion around what are the qualities of of a person and a young person in this case. 
And Francesca, I think your study really made me think about the way in which we're approaching weight management, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. as a country. It made me curious, even though this is not my area of expertise, about, you know, weighing children in school or, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, approaches to that around the the sort of the world and whether we were doing more harm than good in terms of drawing attention to, you know, Mm -hmm. that purposeful, what do you weigh at a particular age? And I, I wondered what your sort of commentary was on that well you're hitting the nail in the head here Um, this is something I'm actually very very interested in as you know in England at least children are weighed in schools and they are weighed in schools when they enter school in reception year but also in in year six and when they're about age 10 and 11 which coincidentally is also the time when in our study we measured body dissatisfaction and this is part of the national child measurement program and This is something we don't really know how this affects young people's weight. And I have to talk more about this, but also we don't know whether it's got any negative effect on young people's mental health in the long term. I know that anecdotally, some of my colleagues who are clinicians and work with young people with eating disorders clinically, uh, they say that some of them attributed the start of their weight concerns with the time in which they were weighed in school. But obviously this is, you know, we don't have a study, this is anecdotal evidence, but the, the key point is that we don't have studies that investigate this. And this is actually something that we're trying to do in our group at the moment because it's such a big program and it can be upsetting to young people, but there hasn't been an actual evaluation nationally in terms of what are benefits and what could potentially be some of the harms of of waiting children in schools. Yeah, so lots to think about there. Mm. And, uh, you know, uh, lots of, I think, people in the wider uh, sort of NHS or or working in that area, you know, or GPs or, you know, even eating disorder consultants, I think would be very interested in that particular finding. Just, we're always interested to know, are there any particular resources, websites that you know, looking at these areas that you would highly recommend to schools or even GPs or parents or go-to books or anything you've particularly written that you think would be of wider interest? Do you mean in in terms of body dissatisfaction in general or about school programs? I think both, please. Both, please. If anything comes to mind. Well, I've come across some resources from the Mental Health Foundation, for instance, which is free, uh, you know, they should some, sometimes some of these resources are not free to access, but the Mental Health Foundation has quite a nice presentation in terms of body dissatisfaction, which is aimed, I think, at parents and teachers, potentially, in terms of how do you recognise a child who's too concerned with their body image. But and in terms of the waiting school programmes, I am not really aware. I've, I've come across a website. I can't actually, this is not very helpful. I can't remember the name that where they had a conversation about what are the potential risks? How should I decide whether I should withdraw my child from? Because you, potentially parents can decide to withdraw their children from the National Child Measurement Program, for instance. So that helps parents making that informed decision. But unfortunately, as I said, this is not very helpful because I cannot remember the name of the website on the top of my head. That's okay. That's okay. Thank you so much. And what are you working on now, Francesca, in the course of your work? So different areas of work, actually. So one part, I've got two grants at the moment, and we're looking at slightly different things in in each of these grants. So in one of these grants, it's really focused on this issue of 
body dissatisfaction in young people? What are the consequences for the dissatisfaction in young people? And how can we prevent? And part of this is indeed to understand the impact of the National Child Measurement Programme on mental health outcomes in young people, including eating disorders, depression, self-harm, anxiety. And as part of that project, we are also trying to do a new longitudinal core study of young people in secondary schools to try and understand what are individual societal school level risk factors for body dissatisfaction so that at the end of the study we can try and implement developed new interventions to prevent body dissatisfaction or perhaps adapt some of the existing interventions that, that exist. So this is one area of research that I'm working on at the moment. And then we've got another area of research, which is more focused on sort of different types of eating disorders, such as ARFID, which is slightly different eating disorders compared to the more well-known one of anorexia, bulimia and binge eating. And again, in this in this other grant, we're also trying to understand some of the risk factors of again, eating disorders in adolescence and body dissatisfaction, such as social media and school level factors. It's quite a broad area of research, but this is kind of all the things we're, we're working on. It's quite comprehensive. And Francesca, what's the sort of chronology or timeline of those? So when could we look forward to hearing some of the sort of results? Is it over a couple of years, for presumably? Yes. So one of these grants has literally just started. So we're looking at the next three years in terms of doing the research. So I'm expecting that probably we'll have some results after that. The cohort study that I mentioned in secondary school hasn't started yet and is meant to last four years. Obviously, as data comes in, we'll try and publish some of the results so we don't have to wait four years. So I guess, as you say, probably two or three years to start to see the first results. Okay, well, well done for all the work that you do. And it's obviously one of the most probably valuable areas of research and something that everyone is desperate to understand more about. And I think particularly when it comes to girls' mental health, I mm. mean, you know, there's so much to unpick and puzzle out. And I think your work, you know, makes such a significant contribution to that. So thank you for everything that you do. And thank you for talking to me today. And thank you for helping us understand more about this fascinating area. All the very best. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> bye bye. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Tooled Up Education, the home of evidence-based tips on parenting, family life and education. www.tooledupeducation.com Parents and teachers in Tooled Up Schools can also access notes accompanying each podcast available to read and download from the Tooled Up site.